All right, um, this is not going to be a, a long sermon. I've cut it in half, so it's only going to be about 50 minutes or so. It's a joke. Um, but I am going to make three references to three movies. Two about, yes, <laughs> two of them will be sports movies because I actually like sports movies more than sports, okay? And one is about, I won't tell you the name, but it's about a large shark that eats people, okay? So I won't tell you what it is, but how many of you have seen the movie A League of Their Own, the baseball, ladies' baseball movie, okay? So um, this is a movie about women's professional baseball. When World War II took place, they suspended men's baseball, and the men went off to war, and the ladies formed a league. And the movie uh, stars Tom Hanks as the rude, crude coach, Jimmy Dugan, and Gina Davis is Dottie, who is the, uh, the best player in the league. She's a catcher. And the story, I won't go into the whole thing, it's really about two sisters, a little rivalry between two sisters who start out on the same team, one gets traded, then they end up on the two teams that are going to go to the World Series, which is not hard because there were only four teams in the league, all right? But these two teams are going to play each other. Gina Davis's team, the Rockford Peaches, is getting on the bus to go to the first game of the World Series, but her husband has just come home from, from war. So she and her husband are not getting on the bus. They're getting in his car. And Tom Hanks walks over and he says, Hey, Dottie, what, what do you think you're doing? Where are you going? And, and she says, I'm going home. And uh, he's beside himself. He can't believe it. And she says, Jimmy, it just got too hard just got too hard. Tom Hanks looks at her and he says, the hard is what makes it great. The hard is what makes it great. She takes off, the bus takes off, then we're taken to the last game of the World Series. It's tied three to three in games. Tom Hanks is walking around. The girls are warming up. He walks by the catcher. Catcher takes off her mask. It's Dottie. She's shown up. She wanted to quit, but she came back because it was great. So here we are. It's our 15th year of being a church. We started from nothing. And I think if you were to ask... Uh, some of the people who've been with us uh, for the whole time or for a long time, if you were to ask, how would you describe planting a church? If they were honest, I think they would say, it's hard and it's great. It's hard and it's great. Here's what's great. I don't believe Valleybrook is just a church thought up by men. It's not a human plan that created Valleybrook. I believe God ordained the existence of all true churches from eternity past. 
and he allowed us to be brought into reality. So you know what's great? Being part of God's eternal plan. You know, it's great seeing people hear the gospel and receive Christ and then to see Christ transform them in their walk with him. You know, it's great is to see people grow in the fruit of the Spirit. I, I've grown. I'm not perfect. <laughs> but I've seen God work in my life and in my family's life and in my kid's life and in your life. It's great to see God create, as, as Kathy and Adam said, a family out of strangers. Okay? And it's hard. All I'll say is, as, as uh, Amazing Grace says, there's been many dangers, toils, and snares. Okay? Now, to shift back to our text, not only is planting a church hard, I think following Christ is hard. I mean really following Christ. I don't mean just going to church. I mean, if you're really serious about following Christ, it's going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And our key verse in Hebrews, which sums up, really, the whole book of Hebrews. And by, by the way, here's, here's Hebrews in a, in a nutshell. As they say, get that in your head and you get in a nutshell. Um, the book of Hebrews. Did anybody get that? That was a... F- All right. <laughs> Hebrews was written to some Jewish people who had placed their faith in Christ. This was in the first century. And as they're following Christ, this is not going over real well with their families or with their Jewish communities because they started facing persecution and imprisonment and the confiscation of their property and they were being harassed. And many of them were saying, this is hard. Let's go back to Judaism. Sure was easier back then. So the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who it is, could have been Paul, could have been Barnabas, could have been, who else? Caleb, who else? Oh, it's Matthew, okay. (laughs) Caleb has discovered the true author of Hebrews, Matthew. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Matthew (laughs) writes this letter, 13 chapters, but the essence of the letter is this. Let us hold fast, hold on, don't give up, don't quit. Hold on to the confession of our hope. That's referring to the gospel. Don't let go of the gospel. And let's do this without wavering. Let's not even look back. And why should we do this? For he who promised is faithful. What did he promise? Well, the promise of the gospel is this. We're all sinners who deserve damnation, but Christ came to pay the price of our sin on the cross. He paid the full price. He died. He rose again. And then the promise of the gospel is this. If you trust him, he will save you. He will forgive your sins, and he will see to it that you make it safe to heaven. Right? You can trust that that is true. So, Matthew or Paul or Barnabas or whoever wrote this is saying, don't look back to Judaism. 
Keep walking with Christ. And then he goes on, and I'm going to give you three points. He goes on to give you three reasons why you should not let go. Why you should keep holding on to Christ. All right? Here's three reasons. Number one, consider the alternative. Consider the alternative. So if you look at your scripture, Hebrews 10.26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately... Now, there's a little bit of a debate here. Some people think that means um, if you go on living in your depraved life, uh, so it's talking about any kind of sin. Most people, though, say there's a specific sin that this is referring to, the sin of apostasy, the sin of turning your back on Christ. So the idea is this, if you go on Sinning deliberately. If you keep walking away from Christ after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, Judaism had all these pictures and rituals pointing to Christ. And he is here. And you've placed your faith in him. If you go back to Judaism, you're going back to just a bunch of empty rituals. And none of those sacrifices can really save you from your sins. So why would you go back? It's more comfortable. But what's the alternative? Verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment in a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And if you skip down to verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what is he saying? He's saying, keep going, hold on. Why? Because if you go back, there's no sacrifice for sin. All that there is is fire waiting for you. So, what he's saying is, yes, it's hard and painful, but choose your pain. The temporary pain of following Christ, followed by eternal bliss, or the temporary comfort of abandoning Christ and eternal damnation. Now, let me on this point just touch upon one thing. The Bible never hides that following Christ is hard. American Christianity sells you that package. And I don't mean just the health wealth gospel. I mean how the Bible and Christianity is packaged in many, many churches. Follow Christ and get a nice Nice, comfortable marriage, nice, comfortable family. Uh, It's just the nice, all-American family. Now, I want you to look at Romans 8, 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided provided, that's a conditional statement, provided 
we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, don't misunderstand. That is not teaching that you are saved by Jesus dying on the cross plus you adding your suffering to it. No. His sacrifice on the cross 100% fully paid the price for your sin. But what this is saying is when you trust in Christ, you can be guaranteed that you will suffer. Could be persecution. Could be the pain of fighting sin. Could be the pain of being socially ostracized. Could be the pain of losing a job. Could be a a million and one different psychological pains. But the, the guarantee is you are going to heaven provided you suffer. Let me ask you this. Is the gospel that you accepted a gospel that's a fantasy or one that has been very realistic that there is pain and suffering in following Christ? I hope you're trusting in the real gospel and not some American fantasy gospel. All right? Keep following him. Why? Consider the alternative. You know, a lot of times when people grumble about I don't know, their job, their family, the bears, whatever. I want to say, have you considered the alternative? Have you considered how good you really have it? And a lot of times what that does is it forces people to go, you know what, I grumble a lot, way, uh, way too much. I complain about this and that, and I have it pretty good. And I would say that if you're in Christ, you've got it pretty good, right? So one reason to keep going, to hang on, to not give up, is consider the alternative. All right? Second thing, consider the reward. Consider the reward. Hebrews 10.32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, and that's a word that means after you understood the gospel, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now here's what I want you to see. Therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great, what? Reward. You will be rewarded for confidently hanging on to Christ. Um, you know, we will... Okay, let me make sure you understand this. You're, you don't earn your way to heaven through good works. You don't earn your way to heaven through suffering. You trust in Christ. Faith alone is what unites you to Christ. His death on the cross fully pays for your sins. His righteousness covers you. That's why you can say things like, I'm saved. Well, who are you to say you're saved? Well, Scripture speaks of it in the past tense. But the promise of the gospel is that he paid it all. Therefore, when I'm trusting him, I can talk about being saved, having been saved. But in addition to all that free gift of grace, he rewards us for our good works and for our suffering. All right, I want you to take a look at Matthew 5. This is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed 
are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One day all your tears will be wiped away. And I, I don't know, I, Jesus has scars from the cross. Maybe we'll still have scars, but there'll be trophies of glory and reward. So the other day I was flipping around the TV. And there are certain movies that when they're on and you catch them, you got to watch the rest of them. And this was Jaws. Okay. Especially if, especially if you're to the part where they're out in the boat. Okay. So um, there's this scene in Jaws where uh, Captain Quint, Quint and uh, the sheriff and Richard Dreyfus are uh, down in the hull of the boat. It's nighttime and they're drinking something that, I don't know, but they're pretty, pretty silly. And they start comparing scars. And uh, Captain Quint uh, says, I feel this bump right here, and it's from this kind of a shark. And he pulls a tooth out, and he mentions another shark incident. And Richard Dreyfus puts his leg up on the table, and he goes, this is from a hammerhead. And then Quint says, yeah, well, what about... And they're comparing scars from the glory days of their past shark encounters. Can you imagine a scene in heaven where you and the other saints are sitting around in glory and paradise and you start talking about your scars from following Christ? Some physical, some emotional, some social. And the Lord rewards you for everyone. I don't want to miss out on that. So there's this other movie that if you see it, you got to watch it. It's called Rocky. Right? So, you know, Rocky is this bum. And he gets this freak opportunity to fight the heavyweight champion, Apollo Creed. And Apollo Creed thinks it's just going to be an exhibition. They'll just throw a few punches, uh, call it a day. Rocky thinks it's a real fight. And uh, Rocky goes 10 rounds, 11 rounds, 12 rounds. His goal is to go 15 rounds. But he's, his face looks like a hamburger. It's just bloody. Remember the scene? Cut me, Mick. Cut me. So he could see, right? And at one point, Rocky gets knocked down, and, he's, and everybody's like, oh. And even Mickey's like, stay down. Stay down. And he gets up. And, and even Apollo Creed is shaking his head like, you don't want me to do this. And then he, Rocky goes back to his corner, and he says, you stop this fight, I'll kill you. 
That ought to be your attitude about following Christ. You stop this fight, I'll kill you. Because I, I want my scars to give glory to Jesus Christ for his scars. All right? One last point. So first, first point, uh, consider the alternative. Where, where are you going to go other than Christ? Consider the reward. You stop this fight, I'll kill you. Number three, consider others who've suffered. You know, chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about the great cloud of witnesses who've gone before us. They're examples of of faithful people who have followed God. Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Sarah and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson David, Samuel, the prophets. But now I want you to look at some of these others. Hebrews eleven thirty five. 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Now you go, I thought that was a magic trick where you saw a woman in two and then you put her back together. Anybody know who was son in two? There's a legend that Isaiah was hiding in a tree and they sawed him in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, now this is interesting. True believers, when they hear about martyrdom and suffering, are not discouraged from following Christ. But they're encouraged to keep following Christ. Unbelievers go, I don't need that. But true believers want to keep going. Now, when you read Hebrews 11 and about the pain that a lot of our our forefathers uh, endured, I don't want you to think that, well, that was many, many years ago, 3,000 years ago. According to the Pew Research Center, 75% of the population of the world lives in countries with severe religious Restrictions. So, 7 billion people on the planet, 5 billion of them, the vast majority, live in countries where practicing Christianity, where, where preaching Christ and Him crucified in a park would get you killed. Right. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their government or from their neighbors simply because they believe in Christ. So I don't say that to make us feel guilty. I hope that makes us feel grateful for what we have. And I hope that their example spurs us on to not expect God to give you a comfortable, easy life while we have brothers and sisters who are dying for Christ on the other side of the world. Right? Let me close with 
a story I just read about, Open Doors. Okay, there's, uh, there's Voice of the Martyrs, which is the site that talks about uh, Christians being persecuted. Look, look it up. Please become Voice of the Martyr supporters and readers. And then there's Open Doors, which is also another ministry that tracks the suffering of Christians. So there's a video um, where a, a man from South Africa is telling the story of a girl named Susan from Uganda. Susan's 14. She was raised in a Muslim family. And she heard about Jesus Christ at school. So she placed her faith in Christ. Now, she goes home. And her father is not excited about her becoming a Christian. And he's really not excited about her going to church. So he grabs a knife and holds a knife to her throat and says, If you continue to go to church... I will kill you and your brother. What would you do? She went to church. She came home from church. He grabbed her and threw her in a little room in the house. And on the floor was a mat. And he said, sit on that mat until you are ready to deny Jesus Christ. And he locked the door. How long was she in that room? Three months. No food, except her, her brother would sneak water and some bananas under the door occasionally. The neighbors started asking, where's Susan? And the brother said, well, she's locked in this room. They called the police. They opened the door, and they found Susan, skin and bones, 44 pounds, her bones had conformed to the way she was sitting on the mat. And they rushed her to the hospital and saved her life. And they said, why did you sit still all that time? And she said, my father told me that if I moved from the mat, I was denying Jesus. That's our sister. That's, uh, that's a follower of Jesus who would rather die a slow starvation than deny Jesus, right? So, you know, I thought about this, this message. It's not a cheerleading message. It's not a rah-rah message. It's, a, it's the text, really. The text is saying, hold on. Don't give up. Keep following. And then the author goes on to give three reasons. Consider the alternative. Consider the reward. And consider that great cloud of witnesses, dead and alive, who show us the way to keep following Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the cross where you took on the wrath of God as our substitute. Out of love, you died in our place. We thank you for that. Lord, thank you for 15 years of serving you. And Lord, I pray that this church would go on for many, many generations into the future where thousands would be saved, thousands would meet you, eternities would be changed. And Lord, we are just one link 
in that chain. And we thank you that we can celebrate 15 years of glorifying you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.